Yeah, thanks, Bex. It's good to be here with you. Sorry again tonight. Um, we just heard the text. That is the Word of God. And um, this is a topic you would have noticed from the text that um, Peter is speaking here about spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership, pastoral leadership in the church. And this is a topic that is uh, really dear to my heart, really close to my heart. It um, really concerns me a lot. And so I'm really excited to be able to look at this text with you guys here tonight. This is uh, the penultimate, this is the penultimate sermon in our series through First Peter, that is the second to last, or the last but one. And um, if you've been here um, going through the whole letter um, through us, you, uh, sorry, what did I just say? If you've been here with us going through the whole letter together, you would know that uh, Peter has been addressing the churches in Asia Minor. That's an area that belongs to the modern day country of Turkey. And he's been addressing them on what it means to suffer for being a Christian. That was the last uh, part of the letter that we heard last week. Although suffering's been a theme, hasn't it? That's really been uh, touched on a lot by Peter uh, in this letter. And having, having looked at what it means to suffer for being a Christian... Uh, Peter now turns his attention to the spiritual leaders or elders of these churches and he appeals to them, he, he urges them, he exhorts them, he encourages them in their ministry of spiritual pastoral leadership. Now, if you've read the New Testament at all, you will know spiritual leadership is something that is referred to many times in the New Testament and from many different aspects for example, in the Gospels, we're given the narrative, the story. We're, we're told the history of what happened, of how Jesus was walking along by the Sea of Galilee and called his first disciples. And shortly after that, he took them aside. He prayed all night and he chose 12 and he said, you guys are my apostles. That's spiritual leadership. We have that aspect in the New Testament. We also have, um, we also have the lists or qualifications given for different offices in the church, for elders and deacons in the so-called pastoral letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. But here we see something a little different to both of those mentions of spiritual leadership, of pastoral leadership in the New Testament. You see, Peter, if you listen to the text, as I hope you did, um, Peter doesn't give exhaustive details on elders or eldership. He doesn't go, he doesn't get granular, he doesn't go into real detail about what it takes to be an elder or the qualifications for this position. He doesn't say everything, but rather he speaks to three things, and those are the things that are really on my heart as well to share with you this evening. He speaks to the necessity of pastoral leadership, that it's important, that it's essential, and he speaks about the task that this leadership has in the church, what its job is, the task that it's been given, and the character or the heart of that spiritual leadership, so that it is essential, and what function it then has, and how it's to carry out that function. Uh, those are the three things that Peter speaks about here in these very brief five, six verses uh, on spiritual leadership. And so, I want that's what I want to show you this morning. Uh, this morning, it's been a long day. <laughs> That's what, I that's what I want to show you uh, tomorrow. No, this evening. I'm just kidding. Why uh, good pastoral leadership is important, uh, why it's essential, why this leadership is, I'm using the label, why this leadership is steward leadership and why this leadership is servant leadership. Why this leadership is steward leadership and why this leadership is 
servant leadership. Sorry. So we might ask, first ask the question then, if we, we look at the text, Peter has been talking a lot about suffering. Last week it was suffering for being a Christian. Why does Peter now turn to the elders, to the leaders, the pastors of the church now, towards the end of the letter? He hasn't actually referred to them up to now, yeah, in, the, in the previous four chapters. And as we know, it would seem from the context of the letter and the context of the churches Peter was writing to, this was kind of like a, a letter not just to one church. This wasn't like the letter to the Romans, which was sent to Paul, by Paul to one church in Rome. This was sent to a bunch of churches over a wide geographic area. I mean, Turkey is a pretty big country. And if you look at the list of provinces at the front of the book in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, you'll see that this is a, a, a number of provinces are mentioned. But it seems that they were collectively, even though they were spread out geographically, they were all going through a difficult time of suffering and persecution. And in fact, as we saw again last Sunday, that's exactly what Peter has been talking about. He says, don't be surprised at this, and there's strong words that he uses, this fiery ordeal that you're going through. So obviously some form of persecution is happening to these churches. And so why would he now talk or speak or call or encourage the eldership or the elders? Now, I would say that leadership, um, good leadership at that, not just any leadership, but good leadership is essential at all times. Good leadership is essential at all times to the health and to the flourishing, to the growth of any organization, of any institution. In fact, of any family or any nation. But it's especially in difficult times, isn't it? In, if we look back in, at our history lessons that we've probably had when we went to school, we see that it's the difficult times, trying times, times of great struggle, times of persecution, that good leadership really sets itself apart, that it really becomes visible. If times are really good, you can get by with mediocre leadership, can't you? Things are, things, are, you know, things are going well as it is. Basically, the, the task of leadership is don't stuff it up. But when times are really tough, that's when you really need good leadership to stand up and to take responsibility and to face the challenge on behalf of the organization, the family, the nation, the group, or the church. It's in those times that good leadership makes itself visible. It distinguishes itself from poor leadership and so there's obviously strain isn't there there's strain on these churches um, because of the persecution that they're going through and so Peter now says well I've got to talk to the leaders before I finish up this letter I'm on the last chapter now although he obviously didn't write the chapters in you you got that right the numbers were put in later by someone else I don't know what that person's name was Anyway, Peter is now saying before, as he shares his final thoughts with these churches, he's saying, I've got to appeal to the elders, the spiritual leaders. I've got to urge them on, in, in light of what's going on here to step up to the plate, to take responsibility, to respond and to do their duty. And that's, that's such a key component of good Christian leadership, or good leadership at all, but certainly good Christian leadership taking responsibility. Authority comes to those who take responsibility. And so, to begin with, pastoral leadership in churches is necessary. It's essential for the church of Jesus Christ. And again, not only for the health and flourishing of the church in good times, 
but for courage and survival in hard times. I'm not sure if you had to think about it for a moment, what kind of time you'd think we're living in now, in general, is that what if Peter was to write a letter to the churches that are in the province of Germania, of Germany, what would, what would he say? Would, would he think that we're in a difficult time or not a difficult time? Whatever the case, leadership, good leadership is essential, not only in good times, but for courage and survival in hard times. Now, I want you to, to notice one thing here, that Peter, uh, Peter just assumes leadership. He's just that arrogant. No, I'm just kidding. He assumes leadership, doesn't he? He doesn't say, uh, you guys, in case you guys, in case you guys have got any elders there, then I've got a word for them. He doesn't say, hey, if you haven't installed any elders yet, might be the time to do so now. No, he doesn't do either of those things. He assumes that there are recognized spiritual leaders, elders, in all the churches that he is writing to. That's the way it is. That's the way it's going to be in God's church. And, and just as a side note, if you, if you look uh, at the book of Acts, kind of on from chapter 13, 14, 15, that's when Paul, the Apostle Paul, first goes to some of these provinces, uh, along with Barnabas, and plants some of these churches. And you'll notice that, it, that the text Luke says explicitly in the book of Acts, they went through every church and every city and appointed elders in the churches that they just founded so it was it was like that all the way back to the beginning and that's to say uh, spiritual leadership and spiritual authority is biblical it's a good thing it's a good thing that's the way jesus has set up his church Uh, in ephesians chapter 4 which uh, we are going through i mean we're going through ephesians on a wednesday night and i had the opportunity to teach one of those um lessons last December, Jesus is said to have given gifts to the church, part of his triumph in the resurrection and then ascending into heaven. This is Ephesians 4, uh, 7 through 11, if you want to look it up. We're not going to go there now. Jesus is said to give gifts to the church, and one of those gifts are pastors. Isn't that awesome? So, gift. I don't know when Pastor Appreciation Sunday is, but I don't think it's until October. But just as a, as a reminder, it's in October, so we'll be waiting. Pastors or spiritual leaders are a gift to the church. They're Jesus' gift to the church. Spiritual leadership is the way Jesus has set up his church to function. And so there's no such thing, really, as no leadership in churches. That's why Peter can assume it. A church with no recognized spiritual leadership is in some ways defective and, and dysfunctional. And it's not in line with what the New Testament teaches about how the church uh, should be. And so in, in reality, there's, no, there's really no such thing as a church that has no leadership under the authority of Christ to serve, to take care of, to, and to lead. That's what leadership is, isn't it? To lead that church. To use the, the image that Peter uses here, he uses the image of sheep and a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. I don't know if you saw in the paper uh, this week that a sheep got its head stuck in a bridge out on the road towards Kirchtarten. Did anyone see that in the paper? There's like a picture of a sheep and it was like it couldn't get its head out. It was pretty, I mean, yeah, you laugh, but that sheep was tired. It needed to be taken care of. It, it, It got lost because it didn't have a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. And there's a word for sheep without a shepherd. 
That word is lost. There's a word for sheep without a shepherd. That is, they've strayed from the flock. I mean, we sing that here about Jesus, the chief shepherd, that he leaves the 99 to go after the one who strayed away from the shepherd. And that's the character of uh, New Testament pastoral leadership as well. That's the same picture that Peter uses here. Now, we live, as I've mentioned, or has been, has been mentioned here many times, um, we live in a time in which individualism, that is an individualistic outlook on life, is really at plague proportions. It's completely overtaken our society, which means that we live in a time when there's a lot of skepticism towards authority. And I think that even for some of you sitting here tonight, you're thinking, hmm, spiritual authority, pastoral authority, hmm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical. I, I, I need the point uh, proven before um, I'll agree with it. And it's not something that I'm, I, I, yes, I love spiritual authority, I love leadership, I want to get behind it. That's not the kind of time in which we live. Most people, when they think, uh, they th in default terms, they think individually. And I do too. I'm a product of my time just as much as you are. That is, they think in terms of themselves only. My life, this is not about selfishness per se, it's just the way we think. We think about my life, my money, my future, my preferences, my time, my needs. And therefore, we often make decisions for ourselves, often with little regard to how it affects anyone else. Kind of like, if I don't like it here, then I'll go over there. I, I and I wouldn't even mention it to anyone here that I'm going over there now. I'm just going because it's just about me. And this is because we live in a time like this. This is a, what I'm going to call a defeater belief, which hinders us, which it makes us harder to accept the New Testament teaching about spiritual leadership. Because the New Testament is not an individualistic time. It's a time where, or, or the New Testament outlook is that of a spiritual family that we all belong together, and that decisions we make. And the way we lead our lives are not, are not just between us and God or between us and us, us and ourselves. They, you know, they, have a, they have an effect on those around us. We belong to a larger family. And so the teaching of the New Testament, and this is one passage on that, is, is, is fairly clear that as human beings, we're under the, the authority, the responsibility of leaders. And this is the key, not just any leaders, but leaders whom God has appointed ultimately. As Christians, we're part of the church. And therefore, we're under the responsibility of the spiritual leaders. Uh, and they, too, are under the authority of Christ. So Peter, if we come back to our text this evening, this evening um, he makes his appeal to the elders here on the basis of his own calling. Now, Peter's writing this letter. He is an apostle. Uh, he, in fact, he was more than just an apostle. He was part of Jesus' inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, the so-called pillars. And in fact, Jesus, um, Jesus set Peter above the other apostles. And he said, Peter, I'm placing, when we remember that scene where Peter was graciously reinstated by Jesus after having denied him before the crucifixion. They're down by the, sh the shore on Galilee and Jesus is barbecuing that breakfast. John chapter 21, and he graciously reinstates Peter. And he says, Peter, I want you to look after my church. And he says, I want you to feed my sheep, to tend to my lamb. So Peter had authority from Jesus. But he appeals here as a fellow elder. He appeals here as like, guys, I know the job that you've been given. I know the calling that you have. It's because I share in that calling. He had the calling, in, in a sense, in a greater sense for not just one particular church, perhaps, but for the whole church, that he was kind of a pastor 
to pastors, to feed the flock, to take care of them, to watch over them and lead them and protect them. And he says here that he's a, basically he's saying, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I've, I've been a witness to Christ's suffering on the cross, been a witness to what he did for us on the cross. And I'm also a partaker. I have that living hope that, that we'll be part of that glory when Jesus Christ comes back. That's, what he, that's the appeal that he makes here to these elders. Well, let's, let's just ask the question very briefly then. What is an elder? What exactly is one of these people that have been given to the church at a, as a gift that are essential for its flourishing and survival? Now, as I said, Peter doesn't give all, all the details and I don't want to go into all the details this evening either. But basically... We can say a few things, and I think it's important to say that. Firstly, according to the teaching of the New Testament, an elder is a man who meets certain qualifications of character, who's been gifted and called by God, and here's important, this call being recognized by the church, which then leads to his appointment by the Holy Spirit, that he might serve to pastor and oversee God's people. So it's God who prepares elders for ministry. It's he who gives them the gifts to function in that responsibility and in that office. And it's the Holy Spirit ultimately who appoints them to serve under Christ, the chief shepherd in a local church. But secondly, we should add that this is not a lonely calling. It shouldn't be a lonely calling. That is to say this is not and never is a one-man show. Do you know that turn of phrase, a one-man show? <laughs> that is to say, I actually don't know where it comes from, but I've never been to a, a one-man show. Um, but it's not a, a one-man show. Elders are always, always spoken of in the New Testament in plurality. There's multiple elders. There's more than one. And Peter is doing that right here in this letter too, isn't he? He's saying, to the elders among you, this is not a lonely calling. This is not a one-man show. And thirdly, we can say this, when we think about authority, and that might be a tricky thing for us to think about, we understand the continuing source of elders' authority to be the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. These are not guys who just had some calling and now they're kind of in there and they can do whatever they want. They appeal always to the Word of God for their continuing authority. And it's really only that they, insofar as they know the Word of God and they speak with the authority of the Word of God, that they have any authority at all. Their authority rests not in themselves, but their authority rests in the fact that they bring the Word of God to the people in the church. And, and so that's how they serve under the authority of Jesus who speaks to the church through his word. And that's why uh, to some that's why you see here particularly at Calvary Chapel or particularly here at church at 5 that um, our ministry is to know the word of God and then to teach it. and that's why it takes up such a large part of our church life together. We want the word of God which is the ultimate authority to be speaking into the life of the church. And finally, we should note so we should note finally what an elder is, that elders are shepherds, they are pastors. There's a lot of confusion on this. Um, pastor, did you guys know this? Pastor is actually the Latin word for shepherd. Did you know that? People are not nodding. 
no Latin here. Okay. Pastor is just the Latin word for shepherd. Okay, so a shepherd is somebody who looks after the sheep. But there's, there seems to be, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in many churches as, uh, because often there are pastors and those are people who are employed on full time, like full time on staff. And then there are elders who are other people who do, maybe do other things. Depending on the church, it could be a wide range of things. But in reality, the, the New Testament only speaks here of one office, of one spiritual function. And it uses three different words to speak about it. If you look here at our text today, it says here that Peter appeals to the elders. I'm just looking at the text and what the, the words are in the original language. Peter is making his appeal to the elders. So he's making his appeal to some guys who are known as elders. And he tells them to be shepherds. So you elders, you guys are supposed to be shepherds. If we translate shepherd into what the word we often use, that will be pastor. You elders, you be shepherds watching over the flock. And the word behind watching over is the word to oversee. That's another word that the New Testament uses to describe a different, uh, to describe this same office. And, and just for those of you who are interested in these kind of things, overseer, someone who oversees, is actually, the Greek is episkopos, which led to our word bishop. So just, you know, bishop, priest, pastor, all these things. But I want you to see here that the New Testament doesn't divide these things out. It doesn't have bishops over pastors and ministers or elders. Rather, there's one spiritual office of leadership here. The elders are pastors. So we see here that good leadership is essential. It's so essential to any organization. It's essential spiritual leadership to the church. Indeed, it's Jesus' gift. And we're all under that leadership under Christ's headship. Otherwise, we're lost sheep. And the leadership in the church, that leadership in the church that's been given to the church is or are the elders and pastors. And can I encourage you guys? We're coming towards the end of a semester here. Um, and so some of you might be moving on soon. It's always sad to see people go. And I know some of you are going. This might be your last Sunday. But can I encourage you as you go, can you look for this in a church? This is so essential to the health of a church. And it's one of the most important signs of a healthy church is healthy spiritual leadership. Leadership that it really has been put in place by God and recognizes that it's there to serve under Jesus, under the authority of the scripture. That's just so important for a healthy church as opposed to unhealthy churches. And can I encourage you, if you are moving on, if you are leaving us, then look wherever you return to or wherever you go to next, look for a church like that. Now, to look at our second point this evening, Peter shows us the task, the task here of pastoral leadership. And I want to show you why pastoral leadership is steward leadership. And I think these next two points, they are so, so important that we understand them and that we, we look for that in pastors and elders. And so I'm kind of encouraging you. I'm like, I'm, we're reading through my job description here. It's a bit uncomfortable. It's like, you guys know everything I'm supposed to do. You know everything Brandon's supposed to do here. It's kind of a bit weird. But this is so crucial that we understand this good, essential spiritual leadership needs to be steward leadership. That's what Peter says here. He commands the elders, 5 verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, or 
that is among you, watching over them. The first thing to see here is that the flock or the church, Peter's just using that picture of a shepherd with his sheep. The sheep are the flock. So the shepherd is the pastor and the flock is the church. The flock is God's flock. It belongs to God. Indeed, in verse 4, Peter says that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. So all pastors or elders serve as under-shepherds, looking after the flock of God that has been entrusted to them by Christ. That's what it means to be a steward. You don't own it. You look after it for somebody else. You steward something. So the flock or the church doesn't belong to the pastor or the pastors. It isn't theirs. They don't own it. It belongs to God. And so they are given the privilege and the responsibility of shepherding it. I'm afraid to say that this principle has often been forgotten by many forms of spiritual leadership in many different kinds of churches throughout, the church, throughout church history and has led to, um, I want to say, unspiritual leadership aggregating to itself far too much power, far too much domination over the church because people have failed to see, leaders have failed to see, this, these people don't belong to me, this isn't my show, my thing. This is God's flock, it belongs to Him. It's a privilege and a responsibility to shepherd it on His behalf, on behalf of the chief shepherd. Now listen to how Paul communicates this exact same thought in Acts chapter 20, where he speaks there to the Ephesian elders, the elders from the Ephesian church. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I think I'll have the text for you on the screen. He says here, keep watch over yourselves, sounds so similar, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, same again, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Pretty full-on words from the Apostle Paul here. Especially at the end there. Never stop warning you each of you night and day with tears. But Paul makes it clear here, doesn't he, that the church, the flock, is God's flock and it's precious to God. They are bought, that is each individual Christian in the, in the church, in the flock of God, is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Paul also says here, it's the Holy Spirit ultimately who's made them overseers, who set them over the church of God as shepherds. It's not because they had the great idea that I want to be the leader here and I'm going to do that. This is a calling that comes from God and it's a steward leadership to look after something that isn't your own, but rather something that is precious in God's sight, that he's bought by the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. This is why steward leadership is so essential. This should lead, this should lead to great humility on the part of pastors and elders. What a charge. What a charge and what a privilege we have been given. What a responsibility pastors and elders have to, from Christ to look after his sheep until he returns. No wonder it says in Hebrews 13, let me just quote it to you now, I won't put it up on the screen. Uh, it said, the, the, the writer to the Hebrews says 
hey guys, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. Pastors, as pastors, we have to give an account. One day we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to have to tell him how we did with the sheep that he entrusted to us. That's steward leadership. They're not my sheep. They're not Brandon's sheep. I mean, talking about people here. <laughs> I don't actually own any sheep anyway. <laughs> not sure about Brandon. He's got a field behind his house. No, okay, no sheep. We'll have to give an account. We're stewards of God's flock for him. The flock doesn't belong to us. And, G- and in- indeed, Jesus is saying to us, hey, you guys be my shepherds. I'm going to shepherd through you the church that I've called you to be over. And it's for that reason that as pastors we're called. That's why spiritual leadership is so important. It's because Jesus says, this is what I, guys, this, guys, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look after the people here. I want you to care for them. I want you to watch over them. I want you to protect them. I want you to feed them. In, in manifold ways with the word of God, not just through preaching. I want you to give safety to them. I want you to guide them. I want you to correct them. I want you to look after my precious people. And that includes um, teaching the word through preaching. Um, but um, pastoring should never be reduced just to preaching. And, and this is so important. This is such, it's, it's so on my heart. I hope I can find the right words to say it. Let me just mention a few things here. Pastoring, I fundamentally believe this, should never be reduced just to preaching. Just to preaching. Because what is a shepherd? A shepherd knows his sheep. Pastoring or spiritual leadership is basically about knowing the church, knowing the sheep. You have to know the people. How can I be a pastor if I don't know the people? How can anyone be a pastor if they don't know their own church? And so a good pastor, a good shepherd will be praying for his church, praying for the people, praying for the sheep, both corporately praying for the whole congregation in one sense, but also individually. He knows the sheep. He knows the needs they have. He's going to be praying for them. It also includes counseling or pastoring in the, in a true, in the true sense of that word. We are here with you. Um, a good shepherd stinks of sheep, Right? If I meet a shepherd and I want to know if he's a good shepherd, I, I want to stink. I want, I want to smell sheep. If I think this guy doesn't smell like sheep, he smells like cologne. I'm like, he probably doesn't know much about sheep. A good shepherd is a guy who's out there amongst the sheep. He's right there with them. He, a good shepherd actually knows individual sheep in his flock. They all look white and fluffy to me. A good shepherd knows the sheep. There's no stage door here. I mean, there are two stage doors. They don't go anywhere though. It's not like oh, we just come up here once a week and give some polished little performance and then we disappear off and there's like a limo waiting outside and we just get taken back to our air-conditioned hotel room. That's not the kind of leaders we want to be here. We're here to listen to you guys. That's part of how we treat you with dignity as individual people, as people who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. To show you that we listen, we're here to give you advice and counsel on important decisions in your life. Or, or any decision, if you really want advice or counsel. We're here to pray with you. We're here to bear, help you. And that means help you bear your burdens. When you're struggling with things, we want to pray with you. And then we're coming alongside you and bearing that burden with you. That's what a shepherd does for his sheep. If your sheep is injured, he picks it up and puts it on his shoulders. 
and carries it back to the flock. We're here to correct you and bring you back to the flock if you stray. And that might be hard and that might be difficult, but ultimately we hope that you'll look back and think, yes, God used those pastors to bring me back to his church. And because the flock is precious, we're here to protect the flock. We're here, as Paul said, and that's kind of confronting language for many of us, we're here to watch out for wolves. I mean, figuratively, not real wolves in the building. Although it's funny, talking about newspaper articles, I read another article uh, this week that some people, it, it, I don't know where it was, but it, the, it was really cold and they saw this dog in the river and they were like, oh, we've got to go and rescue this dog. And they got this dog out of the river and it was like a wolf. So you've got to watch out for wolves, I say. Be on your guard, Paul says to the elders in Ephesus. He's like, there will be wolves will come from outside and try and threaten the flock and they'll also come from inside. And as we know, wolves tear sheep to pieces. That's what wolves are good at doing, ripping sheep to pieces. So you guys probably come in here in the evening. You're looking forward to a great church at five service, great time of worship, good sermon. You're happy when Sam doesn't go over 45 minutes, when Brandon doesn't crack an hour. No, I'm just kidding. It's usually the other way around, Brandon. And then you enjoy some fellowship, you enjoy some snacks at the back, and off you go. Well, I'm here, I'm here in the mornings. I'm also here in the evenings. And I have to say this, um, and I hope you'll take this in the right way, in the way that it's meant after having shown my heart to you. Brandon and I are watching. We're watching things here. Uh, we talk after the service. And, and we might say to each other, hey, uh, did you see that guy that came in? Um, there was something kind of off about him. Let's keep an eye on him, because he might be a wolf. I hope you can take that in the right way. But we are, <laughs> you know. But that's because we love you guys and we want to take care of you guys. And that might be, we want to make sure we know the flock. And if there's someone who comes in and we're like, where's that person coming from? Or what's going on there? We want to be taking care. And that might sound crazy to you because there's another, um, because there's another defeated belief which hinders us from accepting this teaching. And that's because many of us might have seen or even experienced past abuse of authority in other churches. And that's understandable really is. But the solution I have to appeal to is not, therefore, no authority. The solution is always biblical. Let's have biblical authority. Let's come back to that the way Jesus wanted it. And finally, uh, steward leadership again, just to, just to emphasize that, it means we're among you. We're part of the local flock. We're a part of the fellowship ourselves. All of the, us as elders, we're, we are shepherds, but we're also sheep. We're not some dudes living interstate who just make all the financial decisions for here and then that's it. We're part of you guys. We're part of the family here. And so we desire here to be steward leaders, steward pastors. For us, success at pastoring is faithfulness. We don't want to be pursuing our own agenda here. We want to be pursuing God's agenda, looking after the sheep that he has entrusted us with. We want to love and minister to you guys as people, as ends in yourselves and not means to fulfilling our agenda or making our ministry or whatever that is bigger. We want to be pastors who faithfully steward whomever God has entrusted to us, whomever God brings in the door here at Calvary or at church at five and who rejoice because that's enough. It's not about us and our names and our ministry or our fame. It's enough. 
that God has given us this precious responsibility and in fact God himself is enough. So again, let me encourage you, look for this kind of leadership, steward leadership in any church you go to. And, I, and finally, I just, and briefly, I just want to say, um, Peter talks about the character of pastoral leadership, of steward leadership uh, as well. And that character is servant leadership. God's people need, it's essential, they need good spiritual leadership and that leadership should be steward leadership. But how should those steward leaders lead? They should lead as servants. How does Peter tell the elders here to lead? What character should they, should they have? He says here, lead not because you have to, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to. It shouldn't be a burden to you to do the work. It's going to be hard, but it should be a joy. Don't be pursuing dishonest gain. You don't be in it for the money and for getting rich out of that. But instead, be eager to serve. Love of money. Love of money throughout the New Testament, in fact, throughout the Bible, love of money is a mark of false teachers and false prophets. And I can only emphasize that because there are so many Christian ministries and churches, and it breaks our heart to say it, who are all about money and asking you for money. And it's terrible. It's not about personal enrichment or dishonest gain. It's about being eager to serve. Servant leadership is... Ministry leadership for Christ and for others. I'm worshipping Christ by sacrificing myself to serve the people that he bought with his precious blood. It doesn't mean that money in and of itself is evil. Obviously, it's not the case. But it's not about dishonest gain. And thirdly, Paul says, uh, Peter says here, hey, it's not lording it over those entrusted to you. If you're following through here in First Peter 1. It's not lording it over. It's not, it's not domineering them. It's not dominating them. It's not, it's not setting yourself up as a little petty pope or tyrant or king. But it's about being an example to the flock. It's about being an example. It's about setting an example to the flock. You remember what Jesus says when his disciples, his disciples have that mindset that to, to a certain extent we all of us have when it comes to leadership or authority they want james and john this is mark chapter 10 james and john they're like hey jesus when you come into your kingdom like who's on those who's on the seats to the right to the right and left of you can that be like our seats we want to be right there we want those seats the honorable seats and this causes jesus to give them a lesson on the character of christian leadership of servant leadership he says it's not like that, guys. This is Mark 10, 43. It's not like that. We have to get that out of our minds. Too many of us have been affected by worldly standards of what leadership is. Jesus says, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself here, even the Son of Man, he didn't come to be served. He didn't come for the place of honor and the first place and people to bring him stuff. But he came to serve, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And again, I think this is so key for what you guys need to look for in church leadership wherever you go. And, and it's kind of weird. This is the first time I've ever talked about church leadership as a church leader. But this is the kind of leadership that we aspire to here 
as the leaders here at Calvary Chapel Freiburg. Not like this, guys. It's not about being Lord and King and having everything serve you and it's all about you. It's not about that at all. It's about serving others. That's what Christian, that's what Jesus' leadership is like. A leader, we, we, we should say, has to know, a Christian pastor, a Christian elder, has to know how to handle the authority that Jesus gives him. And Jesus here, Jesus is our model. When, when Peter says here, you guys need to be examples to the flock. Jesus is our model. He gave us an example to follow. And you remember the story in John chapter 13. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed. It was the night that he instituted communion, which we'll be celebrating in just a few moments' time. And it says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to return to the Father. And having loved his disciples, he loved them ultimately. He loved them to the end. And so while they were at the evening meal, he got up from the table, he took off his outer garment, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he got a, a pail of water and he went around and began to wash his disciples' feet. This is the vis visible example of what servant leadership is. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I'm the son of God here, give me a coffee. That's almost crassly profane to say that, isn't it? That's not what he did. He washed his disciples' feet and he said... He said to them, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. He said, I have given you an example that you should follow. Blessed are you if you do these things. By saying a servant is not greater than his master, he's saying, look, I'm the master. And I've shown you how, how it is, how we do things in my kingdom. A servant is not greater. That is, a servant should do at least as much as what the master does. That's how it is. As... Um, as Christian pastors here, we want to be able to say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. We want to be examples to the flock. So as we finish up now, Paul goes on and says, uh, Peter, Peter goes on in, in verse 5 here and he says that the community should be characterized by humility. Humility, it says here, humility leads to God giving grace. God gives grace to a community when that community is characterized by humility. And I just want to say pastors need to understand grace both ways. They need to understand grace both ways. As a friend of mine recently said when he taught on this very same that passage, he said, pastors need to understand grace both ways. They have to be gracious with themselves because they're going to make mistakes, sometimes really big mistakes. Sometimes they're really going to stuff it up. We guys, we're not infallible here. We don't get everything right all the time. And we need to be gracious with ourselves, but we also need to be gracious with the flock. We need to be gracious with those precious sheep that the Lord has entrusted to us. And so you might say at the end of this message, ah, yeah, so what? So what? What difference does that make? Well, I think this makes all the difference because if we look at God's plan of redemption, Jesus institutes the church. It's the one thing that he founds. And he and he says of himself that he is the good shepherd. And then he says to Peter, as the first pastor of the church, in a way, he says, 
Peter, feed my sheep. And so the church is God's, is Jesus' plan for evangelism, for reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's, plans not only, God's plan not only for reaching those nations, but for discipling the nations that at the end, the, the church as the, the bride of Christ is able to be presented to Jesus, beautiful, perfect. And God's uh, plan to do that is humble, servant, steward, leadership of elders in churches and so when you say so what what difference does it make this leads if this is put into practice in churches this leads to strong united churches leads to strong united churches that are healthy and that are pursuing that goal of following after the chief chief shepherd so I just want to finish with one thought. If you're leaving us, then please take these things to mind. We would be so happy if, I mean, we're, we're sorry to see anybody go, but we know that not everyone stays here forever, as someone once said. And we'd be so happy if when you left here, you would look for this kind of leadership in the church. That's the first thing I want to finish with. The second thing is, this is what we aspire to here as leaders at this church. And we, we want to know you guys. We want to be there for you. And so can I ask you to pray? Pray for us. Pray for your leaders here, pray for us as pastors. Alrighty, amen. Next week it's spiritual warfare, but before we get to that, I'm going to ask Brandon to come up and lead us into communion.